Good morning, Lindsley Avenue. Good morning. I was feeling a little sleepy over there, so I thought I would start off with a little loudness. Good morning again, everybody. Good morning. And good morning to everybody watching at home, either live or later. I appreciate all of you being here. It's good to get together on a beautiful sunny day. I hear it's going to be a warm day. I'll believe it when I feel it. After all the snow and cold, but God is good every day. So it's good to be here with you all this morning. Last week, we talked about a man born blind. A man born blind out of John chapter 9. And this week, in uh, to give uh, honor to Black History Month, I want to talk about man born black. We're eventually going to be in Acts chapter 8. It'll take us a while to get there. But uh, I think it's a very important thing for us to remember, certainly in our culture, that the Bible is certainly not silent about black people. And sometimes you run into individuals, usually they are not black, to whom that is a surprise. So I want to make sure no one is surprised. Any opportunity I have, I want to make sure that I spread the uh, information that the Bible is not silent with regard to uh, black people. So let's talk about Black History Month. Black History Month was created by Dr. Carter G. Woodson. He was born to two former slaves and enrolled in high school, high school at the age of 20. So he got a late start. But he graduated within two years and went on to earn a PhD, a doctorate from Harvard. He was disturbed to find in his studies that history books largely ignored the black American population. So I want to take a look at black history in the Bible. Black history in the Bible. There's plenty to talk about, and it's been on TV some here this month, about black history and American history. But I'm not nearly as concerned with that as I am about black history in the Bible. One reason to do that, one reason to take the time to look at black history in the Bible is a quote that I got from a dear friend of mine. When you make a group of people invisible in the Bible, it makes it a lot easier to make them invisible in society. And when a group of people are invisible in society, it's easier not to see them in the Bible. Circular, but I think that happens. And I think that has been reinforced over time in our American culture. So let's take a look. First of all, let's talk about Cush and Ethiopia. First of all, black people are not in the Bible, are in the Bible. It might be shocking to some, but it really shouldn't be because they are in the Bible. The Hebrew word Cush, the Hebrew word Cush means black. The Greek word used is Ethiopia, and Ethiopia is the word that has stuck uh, in, in society and in history. And both are used interchangeably in the Bible. The word Ethiopia means burned face. And so even though people in Greek and Roman culture are not nearly as white, if you will, as I am, uh, they, they certainly, if you go to uh, Italy or you go to Greece or you go in the Mediterranean, on average they are slightly browner than I am. But compared to the people in the Mediterranean, they looked at individuals from Africa and their description of them was, they, you've been out in the sun and your face looks burned compared to mine. And that's the word that stuck. It simply means black people. So when you see the word Cush or Ethiopia in the Bible, we're talking about a land 
where black people generally dwell. Um, so the default, when you see that word, should be thinking of a black man, a black woman, or a group of black people. And they're in the Bible quite a lot. Where are Cush and Ethiopia? Well, this is a map showing the land of Israel and Egypt, and this is the Mediterranean, so this is Africa down this direction. And you have Egypt, and below Egypt, you eventually get down here to Ethiopia and Cush. And you have Nubia slightly in between them, but as the Egyptians expanded south, they encountered the people from the land of Cush and the people from the land of Ethiopia. And even though Egyptians are generally speaking of slightly browner skin shade than people up in Greece would be, Cush and Ethiopia were browner still. Ethiopia's history is very interwoven, it's intertwined with Egypt. In fact, Cush ruled Egypt in the 8th century BC. Uh, it's funny, they have been able to find little figurines that were made by the people running the temples of the pharaohs. And the pharaohs, they, they make these little figurines, and when you get to, if you line them all up sequentially as best you can, when you get to that 8th century time frame, if you have them all in a line, they were true to form because the figurines for the pharaohs got darker, they got browner, they got blacker because Cush, people from the land of Cush in Ethiopia, were ruling Egypt. And so you're not going to make a figurine that looks like me if the pharaoh actually is a black man. So it's part of history of the land of Egypt and it's part of history of the Bible. Ezekiel 29 verse 10 speaks of Cush slash Ethiopia as lying south of Egypt, which it is. Uh, ancient Egyptian descriptions, Ethiopia is termed Kesh, which is just a different spelling of the word Cush. Vowels don't translate very well from one language to the other, so you get spelling differences. Uh, no, no one should really care. It's the same country. Now here's a statement from the book of Jeremiah. This is very important. Jeremiah says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Well, this is a rhetorical question. The answer to this is no. If someone from Ethiopia wanted to change their skin from black to a lighter shade, can an Ethiopian do that? No. Can a leopard by willpower change and get rid of the spots the leper has? No. Well, the important aspect of that question comes next. So the answer is no, but look what God uses it for. Then you may also do good who are accustomed to evil. If the Ethiopian cannot by willpower change their skin from black to a lighter shade, if the leopard cannot by willpower get rid of the spots the leper has, God says, well, that's how likely it is that any of you who are accustomed to doing evil by willpower are going to be able to change and do good. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it on your own. Here's a picture from one of my favorite movies. This is from the Ten Commandments. And I love this picture because the Ten Commandments was made in the late 1950s. Good for them because they did it right. At one point in the Ten Commandments, 
Moses, played by Charlton Heston, and I will always think of Moses as Charlton Heston, he brings in the king of Ethiopia before Pharaoh, seated here. And the Ramses, the competitor for the love of the beautiful Nefertiri sitting over here, is wanting the king of Ethiopia to get down on his knees. How dare he stand before Pharaoh? And Moses, Charlton Heston says, would Pharaoh not much rather have an ally, uh, someone, a comrade in arms to help in the South rather than a conquered former enemy? And so they don't make him stand, but look what they did. Certainly showing here Ethiopians, the king and his daughter as black people, which they are. And if you notice, look at the face of Nefertiri over here. She's looking at this beautiful black princess. She's not very happy. Why? Because the individual she loves, Charlton Heston Moses, has been where for the last several months? Down in Ethiopia, hanging around this beautiful African princess. And she's got a jealous look on her face. Imagine that showing up in a movie in America in the 1950s. But good for them, they did it. Good for them, they did it. And so it's been even in the movies that the people of Ethiopia are black people. It's not a shock, should not be a shock. Let's talk about Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Moses in Numbers chapter 12, we read this. Then Miriam and Aaron, that's Moses' sister and brother, spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. When the Bible says something once, we ought to pay attention to it. When it says something twice, God is really making sure that we understand this is important. Why are Miriam and Aaron upset with Moses? We're told two times because he had married an Ethiopian woman, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. For some reason, Miriam and Aaron in Numbers chapter 12 don't like the fact that Moses had married a woman from Ethiopia. Ethiopian is Cush, right? And what did we just see about individuals from Ethiopia and Cush? They're black. Generally speaking, they are black. Moses had married an Ethiopian woman, a black woman, and Miriam and Aaron aren't happy with the fact he had married an Ethiopian woman. This is probably not Moses' wife, Zipporah. The Bible speaks of Zipporah. She's the one that shows up in the movie picture we just saw of the Ten Commandments. The reason this is probably not Zipporah is Zipporah was from the land of Midian. Midian does not describe generally black people. And she had been a figure of the story quite some time. We know a lot about Zipporah. And then suddenly, in Numbers chapter 12, we're talking about an Ethiopian woman. Well, why wouldn't Miriam and Aaron have been upset years before when Moses had married Zipporah, if that's who we're talking about? Why wouldn't the Bible merely talk about Zipporah in Numbers chapter 12? It almost certainly is not Zipporah. We don't know what had happened. Had Moses taken a second wife or had Zipporah died? Whatever the circumstance, Moses had married an Ethiopian woman, which means a black woman, and Aaron and Miriam were not happy about it. 
So they said, right? This is, I'm back to Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron had spoken against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they, Miriam and Aaron, right? That's the they right here, said, Has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? They're upset. Is Moses the only one that God speaks through? Hasn't God spoken through me, Aaron would say. Hasn't God spoken through me, Miriam would say as well. Look at the next phrase. And the Lord heard it. Oops. Have you ever said something where you really shouldn't have been talking about an individual and you turn around and there they are? You know, it's always a good reminder to keep our mouths shut and not talk about other people. Well, you can't say anything without God hearing it. They talk about Moses and God hears it. Of course he hears it. But we're told specifically God heard it. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. You ever been called by your mom or dad? Get out of here! It's not going to turn out well when that happens. You know, my dad or mom would snap their fingers and get over here. God's upset with Miriam and Aaron. Okay, so they come out. And here's what God says about Moses. I speak with him face to face, even plainly and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? How dare you speak against my servant Moses and get upset with him? Now, why were they upset with Moses? We're told twice he had married an Ethiopian woman. So what happens? The punishment's going to come on Miriam, but what happens to Miriam? What punishment does God put on Miriam? You don't like the fact that my servant married a black woman? Right? I'm paraphrasing God here. You don't like what Moses did in marrying a black woman? The anger of the Lord was roused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous and looked for it white as snow. You don't like the fact that my servant Moses married a black woman? How would you like to be whiter than anything that's ever walked the earth before? Let's see how you like whiteness, Miriam. Let's see how you like being whiter than anyone else on the face of the earth if you don't like the fact that my servant Moses married an Ethiopian woman who was black. Miriam and Aaron, I'm, I'm going to repeat it. Miriam and Aaron don't like the fact that Moses married an Ethiopian woman. God disagrees. He doesn't have any problem with Moses marrying an Ethiopian woman and punishes Miriam by making her white as snow with leprosy, a skin condition. Ethiopian is Cush. Now, to be very plain, what do Ethiopian woman, women look like? Well, three random pictures of Ethiopian women that you can find on Google, on the internet. Here's one. Lovely, lovely woman there. She is an Ethiopian woman. Moses' wife may have looked like that. Here's another one. Ethiopian woman, very beautiful woman, black. And here's a third. What do Ethiopian women look like? They are black women. And Moses married a black woman. 
Miriam and Aaron got upset, did not like it. God condemns them and as punishment makes Miriam whiter than anyone that's ever lived. What better way to show Miriam not to care about Moses' wife's black skin? What does God think of skin color differences? What he thinks is that he's very upset when people make distinctions based on appearances. Period. If only we, and here I'm speaking for white Christians in America 50, 80, 100 years ago, had simply spoken what the text says here in Numbers 12. You know, there used to be laws against white people marrying black people. It's as if Miriam and Aaron wanted a law back there about it. What does God think about things like that? He's much more concerned about what we look like on the inside than what we look like on the outside. Shame, shame on us for not having spoken the truth, which is revealed. Why is this recorded in Numbers 12? Maybe it was speaking to white America back in the 40s, 50s, 60s. Pick a decade, I don't care. Because it's very, very clear and plain based on the punishment that God gives Miriam. There's no reason to make her white as snow other than to contrast with the black skin of Moses' wife from Ethiopia. One particular reason why skin color differences do not and should never matter, Acts 17, verse 26. And he, God, has made from one blood every nation of men and women to dwell upon the face of the earth. We're all descendants of Adam and Eve. God made us all. And we're all humans with similar problems. I also want to talk about some early Christian teachers. And this is tucked away in the first verse of Acts 13. I, I promise you, we're going to get to Acts 8. We're going to get to the man born black, the main subject of the lesson. But bear with me just a little more. Acts 13, verse 1, really in an introduction to that leads to Paul and Barnabas going out on the first missionary journey. Look what God records here in Acts 13, 1. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers. These are like the, the all-star list, if you will, of prophets who were teachers and teachers, specifically teachers. Look who they are. Barnabas, he's going to go out on the missionary journey with Paul. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger. Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now here's the key point. Niger means black. Now, in this culture, skin color differences in the Mediterranean, in the Roman and Greek world didn't mean anything. And so he's Simeon, but he's called black. It would be as if you decided to give me a nickname. He's black, he's a black man, and he's called black or maybe blackie. What would the equivalent thing be today if you were going to give me a nickname? Thurl, what nickname could you think of that would describe me based on my physical appearance other than oldie? You could say white or there's some other characteristic I have. What if you all decided to call me baldy? Well, as long as you love me, 
As long as we're friends, as long as we're brothers and sisters, I wouldn't care that you called me Baldy because you'd be doing that saying, you know, hey, hey, Baldy, good to see you with a smile on your face. Why? Because we don't have prejudice in our society based on whether somebody's got hair on the top of their heads. Now, we could never do this in our culture. We may never get to the point where we could do this where you could call someone who was a black man blackie. That's what they did in the first century. Why? Because they weren't making distinctions based on skin color and never had for a thousand years. But that's what they did here. They loved each other enough that they could give a nickname like Baldy to a bald man. They didn't do that. It's not recorded. But that's the same kind of thing. And they didn't care because they loved each other and they were brothers and sisters. Now, in addition to that here, you also have Lucius of Cyrene. He is from North Africa. So in this list of teachers, you've got Barnabas, who was from Cyprus. You've got Simeon, who has to be a black man. They're not calling him Niger because he's got black hair. You've got Lucius of Cyrene from North Africa. And you've got Menean, who grew up with Herod the Tetrarch, the ruler of Galilee, and Saul a Jewish man who had persecuted the church. What a cosmopolitan, what a varied group of people. They've got two of whom are Africans in the church at Antioch in Acts 13. So how often in the past have we heard that Moses married a black woman, that the Cushites, Ethiopians were a powerful nation with a highly developed culture, that one of the early honored teachers in Acts 13 was a black man, not very much has been my experience in answer to that question. Romans 15, 4. These things that were written beforehand were written for our learning if we bother to read them and to teach them. Again, when you make a group of people invisible in the Bible, it makes it a whole lot easier to not see them in society. And if you don't see them in society, you probably aren't going to see them in the Bible either. Now, with all of that, thank you for bearing with me. Let's look at Acts 8 and the man born black. Picking up in Acts 8, starting in verse 27. Behold, a man of Ethiopia. What does he look like? He's a black man. A man of Ethiopia. Most people that will know Acts 8 know him as a eunuch, which means that he had uh, had a removal of some of his biological uh, material that made him specifically masculine. How's that for talking around it? Most people will know him as a eunuch, but forever, it seems, we've been passing over the fact that he's an Ethiopian. He's a black man. He's from the land of Ethiopia. A eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. This is a black man in a very responsible position in a nation of black people who had authority over all of her money. And he had been up there worshiping at Jerusalem. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. You know, for years in America, prior to the Civil War, it was illegal to teach a black person to read. I still remember Roots. Remember the movie Roots? And wasn't it Kizzy in Roots who was taught how to read and that was the reason the master split up the house? 
Here in the Bible is a black man reading from Isaiah the prophet. How dare we ever have had laws to make reading illegal for any group of people. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Notice, Philip didn't ask the Ethiopian to get out of the chariot so that Philip could sit down and to go get him some water. He's not in any way treating him the way black people were treated in this country for so, so long. He is treating him as an equal. Why? Because skin color doesn't matter to people of God. Now, continue on. The eunuch answered in Philip, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. And as they were going along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What pre prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from becoming a member of God's family? What prevents me from having all my sins washed away? He, Philip, commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. Neither Philip nor the Holy Spirit who sent Philip over to the chariot cared what color skin this man had from Ethiopia, which, by the way, was black. They cared that this man needed to know about Jesus, which is the only important thing that matters in the world today. I don't care if somebody shows up who's orange. It doesn't matter what we look like, bald or not bald, white, black. What matters is, do you know Jesus? Do you know my friend? It has been right here in the Bible the entire time. And yet, much of society was blind to that fact. Throughout the Bible, God and God's people show a lack of concern over the color of a person's skin. They had slavery. Usually it was a matter of having lost a war or got in, getting into debt. They had slavery never based on what somebody looked like. God punished Miriam when she objected to Moses' marriage about, uh, to a black woman. The church in Antioch cared more about the teaching abilities, the knowledge that somebody had rather than what somebody looked like. Acts 10, 34. Peter tells Cornelius, I truly now notice that God is not a respecter of persons. How dare we be? How dare we be? So, what can you do about the past? What can I do about the past? Nothing. I cannot change yesterday. No matter how much we might wish to, I can't do it. But we can change today and can change ourselves right now. Right now. The important thing about the Ethiopian is not that he was born black, which he was, but that he was born again. God doesn't really care whether he was born black, white, or whatever. What he cares about is that the Ethiopian is born again, becoming a member of God's family. That's the important thing about the Ethiopian in Acts 8. You too can be born again right now. As Jesus said in John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. 
He said in Luke 13, 3, unless you repent, you will all in like manner perish. He said in Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Jesus said it, just do it. The Ethiopian heard about Jesus and he, he asked for the chariot to stop saying, here's water, what stops me from beginning becoming a child of God? What's stopping you today? If you're already a member of God's family and you need to come and ask for prayer or forgiveness, it's such an easy thing to do. We would be happy to carry your name before God as we all pray for forgiveness. If there's a need in which we can help you today, please come as we stand and sing.